Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome to episode 38 of the Lovable Podcast. These days, it seems that everyone wants to find their passion and discover their purpose, yet many of us have difficulty doing so, and so we think our passions are hard to find. They're not. They're usually right in front of us, but we simply fail to see them. Today, we're going to move you one step closer to seeing them with five familiar questions. Before we get going, though, make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It's called The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down, and here's a review from Amazon. While the advice Dr. Flanagan gives can truly change the way we look at marriages, the most powerful thing he does is inspire us to live out our relationships in a way that transforms the world around us, making marriage a vehicle for revolution. Read this book now. You can get it for $2.99 at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. Sign up at the top of the right sidebar. You'll get the ebook for free right away. And then you'll have an opportunity to sign up for my mailing list. If you do, each week you'll get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. Also, the comprehensive study experience for Lovable is almost ready and I'm going to be giving it to you for free. So make sure you're signed up for that mailing list to be sure you don't miss out on the announcement. And last but not least, when you sign up, you'll also get a free sample of Lovable. But of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available wherever books are sold, in paperback, digital, and audio. So check it out wherever you like to get your books. All right, onward. Episode 38, how to see the passions that are right in front of us. As always, thanks for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 37 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, When You Think You Don't Know How You Want to Live. Today, we are going to quit searching far and wide for your passion and start paying attention to what is right in front of you. Before we get into this week's topic, though, let's check in. Last week, we talked about how, as children, most of us were discouraged from wanting things and that our passions represent our deepest, truest, most beautiful wants. So I challenged you to start letting yourself want again, by making a list of all the things you want right now. How did that exercise go? What helped? What was hard about it? And even more broadly, as we begin this journey into the months of living, of discovering our purpose, what are the big questions you have about passion and purpose at this point in the journey? And while you're thinking about what you want to say, um, I, I, I did the exercise um, last week. I sort of multitasked. I had an all-day continuing education seminar last Thursday. Um, that was focused on uh, mindfulness and mindfulness-based stress reduction. And so a lot of the day, a lot of the, the continuing education was practicing the techniques themselves, mindful breathing, body scan, mindfulness of thoughts and feelings. 
Um, and so I decided to use those exercises as times to sort of let the wants within me start to drift up. Um, and it was an exhilarating day. Um, uh, once I was able to get in a place of letting, letting whatever was within me rise to the surface, not resisting it, not censoring it, um, what I slowly began to recognize um, was that um, there, my passions were for doing most of what I'm doing in a slightly different way. Um, sort of that, that the things that I'm doing with my life has sort of drifted a little off course of my passions. And what I wanted to do was to begin to, um, to do things a little differently. So for instance, the marketing for my clinical practice. Um, I had some clarity about how I want to practice my passion within the context of doing that. Um, some more clarity about how I want to practice my passions with regard to the writing that I'm doing, and a lot more clarity about how I want to practice my passions within the context of my parenting. Um, and so one of the first things that I sort of learned from the exercise or was reminded is that uh, you know discovering our passions doesn't necessarily, I think when we say that, people hear, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to overhaul my life. It's going to be totally disruptive. Um, not always. Not always. Sometimes practicing our passions just means doing what we're already doing slightly differently. Sometimes it does mean a big life overhaul. It did for our family a few years back, um, but not always. And so um, beginning just to listen for what those wants are, not censoring them, um, and allowing them to sort of teach you about the direction you're wanting to go, whether it's just a slight correction of course, or maybe a, a change of, of paths altogether. So curious to hear kind of your thoughts about passion and purpose at this point, your questions, reactions to last week's exercise and, and so on. Mike writes, first thing, the disclaimer, I didn't do last week's exercise. That said, one thing that keeps coming up repeatedly is travel. The kids are starting college, so there is transition there. The other thing that occurs to me there, there isn't supposed to be clarity. I don't get to have all the answers, so good. My passion and purpose for years has been helping others and parenting. The first likely won't change too much, but the second is going to end soon. Mike, thank you for leading off right out of the gate. Um, that this, these months of, of uh, living, of discovering our passion and our purpose are not the conclusion to that journey. And we'll be talking about that near the conclusion of this year. Uh, and it's it's something we talk about a lot in Lovable, about how usually when we get a little bit of clarity about our passion and purpose and we start to pursue it a little bit, we discover ourselves sort of um, cycled right back to the beginning of this year of, you know, we find ourselves challenged in new ways, doubting ourselves, unsure, and now we're back in that place of having to embrace our worthiness all over again. And we go through this sort of iterative cycle of embracing our worthiness, clarifying our belonging, clarifying our purpose, and that sort of goes on. Um, and it goes on because we never are totally clear about it. And it goes on because, as you say, life changes. Uh, it presents us with new challenges, new opportunities, um, and new clarity as we move through it. Um, and, and just shifting stages of life and different ways to practice what we're passionate about. So I appreciate that. We're never totally clear. It's always in flux and fluid and changing. Um, and... Uh, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine because I am so passionate about parenting. It's hard to imagine that day when um, they won't be here to sort of practice that every day. Um, but what I would encourage you, Mike, is that um, passions don't go away. 
um, even when some of the things we're practicing do. And so um, it's an opportunity maybe to think about, well, what does my passion for parenting look like now that I'm in this new stage of life? Um, because you'll want to continue to practice that and you'll want to continue to do it in a way that is fulfilling to you. So, um, so yeah, but thanks for the clarity that this is all shifting and changing and never totally clear. Robin said, I like what you said about developing passion and purpose, but not always needing to be a big overhaul. I've been there with the big overhauls, but now it's small tweaks. I'm recognizing the way I spend some of the hours in my day don't reflect my true passion. That's really, um, I think, thanks for elaborating on that, Robin. And um, I'm aware that, that viewers or listeners might hear, well, you both had these big overhauls and now you're making small tweaks. So maybe do we all have to go through a big overhaul and then make small tweaks? I'm not so sure. Um, I, I know a lot of people who live very purposeful lives who never had to do the big overhaul. Um, I think uh, probably the size of the overhaul is equivalent to the size of the false self you built. You know, you were out doing things that weren't your true passions because you thought you needed to achieve or prove yourself or whatever. And, and so it requires a huge sort of pretty big course correction to sort of get back on the path of your truest self. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. So, um, so yeah, so sometimes it's small tweaks from the very beginning. And I like that, that way of framing the small tweaks, just that there are hours of my day that I'm spending not in alignment with my truest self, not in alignment with the things I'm most passionate about. Um, and I do think, uh, this is, you know, almost invariably, if you were to ask somebody to look back on their day and, and 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 describe how satisfied they were with it, the thing a sense of satisfaction would correlate the most with is not how much they got done, not how much they achieved or won or proved or anything like that. The sense of satisfaction is highly correlated with how much of my day did I spend living in alignment with my true self, um, practicing what I was passionate about and what I'm doing. When, when that correlation is high, um, when that, or when that, that amount of time, um, that ratio is high, then our sense of satisfaction is pretty high as well. Robin writes, yes, I was absolutely living in my false self for many years. Extremely dysfunctional childhood plus terrible decisions on my part equals big false self to overhaul. So thankful to be on this side of that. Robin, thanks for... Uh, thanks for affirming that. Um, I, I realized as I was saying it, I'm Maybe I'm implying that Robin had a huge false self. I hope she doesn't mind that. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate your humility, um, which uh, ironically demonstrates that you have sort of in many ways left the false self behind. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think so. I, I think I think it sounds like we're on the same page with that. And there, there might be some real truth to that, that the size of your false self probably dictates a little bit the size of course correction required once you begin to discover what your true self wants to do. Marie writes, it was a week of a blank list when I sat down to consider my wants, but I'm not sure if I was thinking of big things. I did practice listening to the voice of grace in the small things, moment to moment. I discovered too that my Enneagram type, I'm a one, might lend itself to being more detail focused anyway, but maybe wants will emerge over time as we journey through this phase of passion. Marie, I'm so glad you said that because I think that that's going to be a very common experience for a lot of folks as they begin to uh, you know, let themselves want, let themselves sort of be aware of the things that they desire. It's not, you know, that muscle isn't going to, to start working again right away. And that's, and, and knowing that this week's exercise in reading is sort of tailored to just going deeper into that, um, recognizing that, 
you know, essentially one of the, and I'll, I'll read this from lovable. One of the main things I hear in my office is I want to find my passion. And the other one is, but I have no idea what it is. Right. And, and that's not an unusual experience. So we'll, we'll dig into that more this week. Missy writes, I wasn't here last week, but when I've done activities like this in the past, I always learn that I am the only one getting in my way of making it happen. I find so many things to do other than what is on that list, like clean out the junk drawer. <laughs> oh, Missy, it's so true. You know, one of the epigraphs to one of the chapters in Lovable is uh, in this section, in the section about passion and purpose, is taken from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, um, in which he talks about how... Uh, we do spend a lot of time sort of identifying all the barriers around us to doing what we want to do with our lives, but, but the inner resistance is, is really the ultimate barrier. Um, so that when we find ourselves cleaning out the junk drawer, I think it was just last week, I posted to, <laughs> I think it was, it was Wednesday afternoon, after I'd gotten done sort of recording and producing the podcast, I wanted to do some writing, and I found myself standing in the pantry eating combos, um, which are pretzels filled with cheese, and, uh, and I posted it to Instagram and said, uh, you know, uh, not only am I standing in the pantry eating po combos, um, I'm posting it to Instagram, which must mean I'm avoiding writing. <laughs> um, and so that inner resistance has all sorts of ways of, of manifesting itself, junk drawers and combos. Um, but it is good to recognize that we are much more in control of the barriers uh, to, to pursuing our passions than we often think we are. Deb F writes, yes, inner resistance. I saw your post on Instagram, laugh out loud. I too aspire to be a writer, and the small pieces I have written have been well received, but in a way, I think I'd rather enjoy the fantasy of being an acclaimed writer than possibly dealing with having a possible book fail. Then there's that, very scary. So Deb, um, you, you, just, you, you just put my heart on the page <laughs> and articulated all of my own kind of inner tension and conflict about... Uh, my passion for writing. I had a, a good friend, an author, who told me at the beginning of the, the process of, of publishing Lovable, and she said, Kelly, I want you to know something. Writing is almost always good for my soul. Publishing is almost always not. Um, and that is because um, writing is a true passion, but hitting a bestseller list is not. Um, hitting a, a bestseller list is an ambition, usually of our false self, um, certainly avoiding rejection is a hope of our false self. Um, whereas our true self just wants to write and, uh, and wants to kind of enter into the joy of that and then allow what happens from there. Um, and, and so I, I feel like in the process of publishing, you're sort of constantly, uh, balancing your passion and your ambition, and that can make it a very uh, sort of a tense time, but you grow from it as well. Um, and so, uh, that is something we need to be aware of. We, you know, when we talked about the months of belonging and our false self, it doesn't go away. We go away from it, and yet it returns. It follows us. It chases us down. And so, as we begin to practice our passions, that false self will come in. You know, that, driven by shame, that says, "Yeah, you need to do something more with this. It needs to be great." Uh, nope, it doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be lived. Um, and so, we want to remember that as we go through these months as well. All right, everyone. Thanks again um, for another. Um, I think for me, already starting, it's a clarifying discussion. It begins to clarify what passion and purpose are and how the manifestation of them can vary so much for each of us. Um, so we don't want to start to get locked into rules about this. Um, so let's move this discussion of passion and purpose forward just a little bit by getting into this week's reading. Um, before we do, I'm going to, um, uh, you know, this, this companion book, 
this companion guide that we're working through, a lot of times it comes into close parallel with Lovable. Um, and so I think the context from Lovable can sort of help anchor the, the weekly reading from the companion guide too. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a brief excerpt from Lovable. Um, just like last week, it's from chapter 23, and this time it starts on page 179 in the paperback. In my office, the first lament, I want to find my passion, is almost always followed by a second lament, but I don't know what it is. The first lament is almost always true, but the second one almost always is not. The truth is we are, all of us, already tipping in the direction of our passions. For years, I didn't know this. When clients asked for help in identifying their passions, I dug in with them, explored, discussed, processed, problem solved. I eventually realized, though, I was part of the problem. We already know what we want to do, and all of our analysis is simply a clever, unconscious way of keeping ourselves on the fence. Making changes is scary. Trying something new is risky. Uncertainty abounds. The fence, on the other hand, is familiar. Miserable to sit on, perhaps, but known, and thus relatively safe. So these days, when someone tells me they don't know what their passion is, I tell them they don't need to discover what they want to do. They just need to admit it. This third act of life doesn't begin with a big leap, it begins with a big lean. We let ourselves tip right off the fence in the direction we want to go and let gravity pull us into a life of extravagant fondness. I'm aware that by writing about the third act of life and the passions we discover there, I'm entering into an increasingly loud and diverse conversation about how to find your passion. I'm choosing to enter the conversation because I'm concerned some of the voices involved are talking about passion out of order and thus without the proper context. In other words, without a solid foundation in worthiness and belonging, the talk of finding our passions starts to sound an awful lot like the voice of shame. The voice of shame says our passions, if they are going to matter, must be earth-shattering or world-changing. It subtly substitutes performance for passion and pawns it off as the real deal. So before I talk more about passion and purpose, I think it's important to undo some of the talk you've probably already heard, around you or within you, about passion. This is what passion is not. Passion is not about saving the world. In the words of author Anne Lamott, lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. Passion is about simply letting the light within you shine in the things you do. Our passions are not necessarily epic. They are not always big, world-changing things. They're just things that won't go away, things that won't leave us alone. It's as if the little one inside of us is tugging on the shirt sleeve of our hearts and won't quit tugging until we pay attention. Passion is not about inspiring anyone else. For instance, I write. My passion is sitting alone in a room all day by myself with just a laptop and my thoughts. To many people, that would be excruciatingly mundane. But when I'm writing, I feel fully alive. In contrast, some people are passionate about exploring every corner of the earth. I don't understand them. I like my little room. But that's what awakens them. That's their passion. Our passions don't have to inspire anyone else. They just need to breathe new life into us. Passion is not necessarily a career. There's an awful lot of talk about turning your passion into a paycheck, quitting your old job, finding a job you love, starting a business. If you can pull that off, great, go for it. Yet if you do, be careful about preserving your passion because a paycheck can turn a passion into a profession awfully quickly. It can go from opening up your soul to weighing it down. Fundamentally, your passion is not about making a living, it's about living with the eyes of your soul wide open. Passion is not the sole possession of privileged people. Too many of us buy into the fatalistic idea that only people with enough resources and time have the freedom to practice their passion. Notice the word enough. It's a red flag signaling shame. Passion arises from the spark that shines equally in everyone, in men and in women, in the young and the old, in the middle-aged career person and the retiree, in the affluent and the impoverished. 
All of us have equal access to our passions. Whoever you are, extravagant fondness is available to you right now. Now, I'm aware as I read that, um, that uh, a simple reading doesn't necessarily um, help you tip off the fence. Um, and so that is really what these remaining weeks are about, is helping you tip off of the fence, leaning in the direction of the passions that you may, that you probably are already aware of at some level, but have continued to sort of push, push down. Um, and so, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and now read this week's reading, and uh, we can sort of discuss this next step in uh, beginning to discover our passions. Week 37, when you think you don't know how you want to live. I'm drying dishes and putting them away when I see it once again. I open a cabinet door, place a cup on the shelf, and I notice the unopened Star Wars video game nestled next to a stack of cups. I think to myself, I really should do something with that video game. I close the cabinet door, and then I stop. The video game was given to Aiden at his sixth birthday party. We already owned it, so amidst the chaos of the party, I decided to toss it in the cupboard and figure out what to do with it later. Aiden's sixth birthday party was five years ago. For five years, I've opened the cabinet door, noticed the game every time, and then closed the door again, telling myself I should do something with the game. It's a silly story when it's about a video game, but it's not such a silly story when we do the same thing to our passions and our dreams. It's not unusual to walk through our lives with a vague sense of disappointment. It's not unusual to walk with a nameless gnawing in our minds, and it's not unusual to return to sleep with an uneasy sense that something important was missed. We wake up and we do it again and our lives become a question lived. There must be something more for me, but how do I figure out what it is? It's not unusual to ache for more and not know what the more is, except we do know what the more is. It repeatedly arises within us and we repeatedly shut the cabinet door upon it. We know we want to reach out to that old friend and apologize for errant words or thoughtless neglect, but we shut the door on it. We see a tender feeling about our lover traverse our hearts, and we want to reach out and put it into words, but we shut the door on it. We have a book we want to write, or a painting to paint, or a business to start, or a charity to join, or a job we want to apply for, or a social injustice we want to stand up against, and we shut the door on it. We have places in the world that have been calling out to us for as long as we can remember, the green hills of Ireland, or the black hills of South Dakota, or a beach where we're reminded who we are, or a wooded path we once walked as a child. And it makes no sense, but something inside of us is telling us that we need to walk it again. And we shut the door on them. We glimpse out of the corner of our mind's eye what will heal us or elevate us or send us or resurrect us, and we get in the habit of telling ourselves we'll do something about it someday. And then five years slip by and we're aching for more, but we've forgotten what it is. The answer to our ache is as simple as listening to our hearts again, instead of shutting the door on them. When I was in the first grade, my family moved to a different state. Upon arriving, I made a best friend so quickly I can't remember living there without him. I recall a lot of uncertainty and fear, and I recall he and his family were like a lighthouse during a time I was lost at sea. After three years, my family returned to my hometown, and I never spoke to him again. Over the years, I thought about him often, wondering where he was and what he was doing, and wishing I could reconnect with him. And then about five years ago, it occurred to me. Evolving technology would now make it easy to find him. Over the next five years, I shut the door on the urge every time it arose. Until a few months back when I finally entered his name into a Google search, and within moments I was staring at his face on LinkedIn. The next day I wrote him an email. He wrote back. Our email exchange was a brief one. We filled in the gaps in our memories, updated each other about our lives, and traded pictures of our children. There were no huge surprises except for one. A heaviness had been lifted from my heart. 
The nine-year-old kid inside of me who just missed his friend wasn't missing him anymore. My heart had known what it needed, and after five years, I stopped shutting the door on it and finally listened. Sometimes joy is simply undone things finally lived. We need to keep the door of our hearts open so we can listen to our urges and our wants. Many of them are trying to lead us into joy. Yet, when we've been shutting the door on them for so long, it can be hard to break the habit and keep it ajar. Maybe our grade school teachers were onto something when they taught us the five W's of information gathering. Who, what, where, when, and why. Who do you want to reach out to? What do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? When will you let yourself listen? Why not now? So that is the reading for this week, and I'm aware... You know, occasionally when I do a reading in this year of listening, loving, and living, like my my empathy sensors kick in, sort of empathizing for the reader. And I'm aware that we're, particularly in these months of, of discovering our passions, we're in a, a, could, what could be potentially a very frustrating middle ground, um, where I'm trying to reassure you that they're there, and, um, and that actually kind of developing the faith that they're there is a part of the discovery process. Um, and, uh, and yet, for many of you, it'll feel like, I, it doesn't that doesn't resonate at all? Um, I don't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not getting anything here. Um, and so this is as much about just beginning to slowly open up to the possibility as it is about discovering at this point. And I just want to sort of give you the the permission um, to be as much opening up as discovering right now. Which, by the way, when I think about what I described that experience I had last Thursday in the mindfulness seminar. Um, the, I think the reason I was able to get reconnected with some of my passions so quickly is that that, that muscle, that opening muscle, <laughs> um, it's actually something you train over time. And that if I create space in my life and intentionality, it's a muscle that works pretty well for me at this point, that the opening happens um, and the allowing happens. Um, but, but remember that most of us for most of our lives have been trained to keep, keep that muscle tight <laughs> and not let anything through. And, uh, and so we are sort of retraining that muscle to relax and release and to, to allow through um, the, uh, the murmurings of our truest self. Mike writes, tipping off the fence. Well, if I'm going to do that, I have to have some level of conviction that the fence isn't the safest place I've deluded myself that it is. Yep, that requires an approach to honesty that we might not have been able to practice before. That honesty stuff can seem really scary, and truthfully it is. However, it can be a path to freedom. Um, you know, Mike, yesterday somebody sent me a, a quote from Simone Wheel. This is it. We have to endure the discordance between imagination and fact. It is better to say, I am suffering, than to say, this landscape is ugly. Um, and I think you're sort of, of getting at that, this idea that um, we sort of tell ourselves the fence is where we want to be, um, that it's that it's um that it's 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 where we wanted to arrive um but this opening process is also about paying attention to the discordance between that reality and what is true that it, which is actually you know what um i suppose i suppose it's comfortable i suppose it's safe but in 30 years when i look back i'm going to wish I'd, t- I'd gotten off of it um and the discomfort of that reality may be enough enough to push me off um so yes, it requires uh, ruthless <laughs> uh, self-awareness and honesty um, sometimes to sort of to, to, to generate the level of motivation it requires to get off of that fence, which, which initially feels so safe and so satisfying. 
Mike writes, relax, release. Those are the ideal conditions for things to change and to go towards what's right. When I practice rock climbing, one of my teachers told me, the right move occurs to the relaxed mind. Oh man, that is deep, deep truth. I found that also applies in the spiritual world. The right move occurs to the relaxed mind. I have, I've, I've, I've sensed some unrest in my life sort of growing over recent months, kind of going, I sense I'm, I'm, I'm sort of astray of where I long to be, where my soul longs to be. And so I've spent a lot of time like actively like trying to get back on course. And it was a day sitting quietly, breathing, um, and just allowing some spaciousness within me. And that's when uh, the, the clarity about um, the direction I want to go arose. That right move occurs to the relaxed mind. Um, so this brings us all the way back to the early weeks of this year, right? Creating space, um, being rested, uh, creating um, the conditions to be able to turn inward and listen to the, the voice within, um, the voice of our inner wisdom, the voice of grace. Um, we may need to return to some of that uh, more so than ever this week in order to, to create um, that relaxed mind. Robin writes, it doesn't need to be great, it just needs to be lived, taking this in this morning. Um, yeah, shame and, shame and false self ego will, every time will say this needs to be great, it needs to be recognized, it needs to be, um, and uh, um, like the, the irony, I think, like Deb, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the stuff that goes along with a book being acclaimed takes up so much time and makes it so hard to practice what you're most passionate about, which is writing. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like be careful what you ask for. Um, it doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be lived. Deb F. writes, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be lived. I love that. So it resonated with you too, Deb. A fabulous starting point. I think I'll print that out and put it where I can see it on my Chromebook, small steps. Um, that sort of feeling that we get from the false self that says it has to be great it'll stop us from ever starting and living it, right? Because the path, the path to something being great or recognized or acclaimed, it's most, I mean, it's, it requires a lot of hard work, but it's, a lot of it's out of our control. It's good fortune, it's luck, it's, it's whatever. Um, don't believe anybody who tells you they got a formula for it. And, um, and so it's so unpredictable that we go, well, if that's the goal for it to be great in the long run, then I can't, I can't imagine, I can't see the path to that, then why start walking the path? Um, and the answer is, well, you start it because the only failure is not living it, is not doing it. Um, and then if something happens that, you know, brings a lot of acclaim and recognition, so be it. But um, be careful of that, too. <laughs> okay, so let's take this idea to a really practical level now. Last week, we made a list of our wants. And this week, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some more time with those lists. So if you haven't uh, thoroughly practiced last week's exercise, that's okay. Um, just pause for a moment. Um, these exercises, particularly in this part of the year, definitely build on each other. So, um, you know, feel free to just go ahead and pause. Um, go ahead and go back to last week's exercise, um, practice that, and then uh, and then go ahead and proceed with this one. The week 37 practice. One of the more common laments I hear as a therapist is, quote, I want to follow my passion. I want to discover my calling. I want to figure out my purpose for being here, but I have no idea what it is, unquote. And one of the things I've learned over the years is it's not entirely true. Almost all of us do know what we want to do with our life, but we glimpse it and shut the cabinet door on it. 
On the heels of last week's exercise, after beginning to give yourself permission to want what you want all over again and to walk the road of resurrection, it's quite possible you hit a roadblock. After so many years of habitually shutting the cabinet door on what you want, it may not be so easy to start living those desires once again. The biggest barrier to walking this new road will continue to be the voice of shame. Now that you have recognized your truest, worthiest identity and are trying to resurrect it, shame's only hope is to keep your life as unsatisfying as possible. This voice of shame may take many forms and may include voices from your past that convinced you to stop asking for, you, for what you want. Parents, peers, maybe teachers and pastors, for instance. It'll whisper, asking for what you want is greedy. It's arrogant to hope for good things. God wants you to be serious about your life, not joyful. It's selfish to think so much about your own purpose and satisfaction. Quit navel-gazing. Quit dreaming. So this week, we will return to this year's foundational exercise, listening for the voice of grace once again. Begin by finding a quiet place and an uninterrupted space. Bring your, quote, Christmas list of wants to that space. Then, for each want, listen for the voice of shame. Next to each item, in a sentence or two, write down what the voice of your shame is saying about that particular want and why it is not worthy of pursuit. Then begin to turn your attention to the voice of grace. Listen to what it is saying specifically about the passions and wants that have arisen in you over recent weeks. Write down what you hear. Return to this exercise as many times as you need to during this week in order to slowly and mindfully work your way through the whole list. Your days of shutting the cabinet on your wants and passions are finally coming to an end. Their days of collecting dust are about to be over. So I'm aware as I read this exercise that um, the voice of shame may also, um, it may not just respond to your list, it may prevent your list, right? So for those of us who say, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get started, I didn't even know where to begin last week. Um, it may be that the voice of shame is, is so strong in, in, in sort of um, shutting you down in terms of your wanting, in terms of listening to your true self, um, in, ter in terms of like minimizing and saying what you want is silly and it's that can't be a passion, it's so small. I mean, so all sorts of ways the voice of shame may come in and shut that down. So if you weren't able to even generate a list last week, no worries. Um, begin to practice this exercise um, within the context of, of trying to make your list. In other words, you sit there with your, your blank piece of paper and your pen and, uh, and you listen for the voice of, of shame. And you listen for what it's saying about this idea of, uh, of discovering your passions and what you're here to do. Um, and then as you then write that down, write down what the voice of shame is saying, um, and then to begin to listen for the other voice, the voice of grace that's going to tell you the truth about who you are and what you're here to do and the worthiness of all of it. Um, so feel free to bring this exercise and sort of take it a week back into last week's exercise as well. Micheline writes, fragments of my passions are showing up in different spaces. Without knowing it or being part of this community, I was completely practicing some exercise, the same exercises. Um, that is a huge affirmation to you, Micheline. Um, your, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that these passions sort of, you know, just keep, keep bumping at the ceiling of the basement we push them into, right? Um, and that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, um, if we're longing to release them again, we're probably, we're probably engaged in activities that are encouraging that. Um, we're beginning to notice the bumping happening more frequently. So that totally makes sense. And uh, uh, I'm glad that this sort of, this space can, can add to that for you, can be an additional place to, to point you in the right direction. 
Marie writes, sitting with the awareness of the true and false self and the need to balance passion and ambition. Hearing the different examples given, I'm hit with the realization that there are certain things that were on this list, but are a combo of passion and ambition. Seems colored by the voice of shame, which fuels the denial that the wants are really wants for me. Oh, Marie, uh, that sort of gave me chills because uh, I was actually, as I was thinking, as I was sort of making that qualification at the end of the exercise today, I was actually thinking of you and, and your struggle to to identify anything last week. Um, and I, you're, you're, you're coming to some insight um, that your the clarity about your passions is sort of being held hostage in this tension between your, your true self and your false self, right? Between your soul and, and, and what your shame has to say about what you want to do to the point where it's muddying the waters about what your passions are um, or it's discouraging sort of going all the way in the direction of those passions. Um, as you begin to tease out and anybody listening to, if, if you're struggling with that same tension, which many of us are, as you begin to tease out, which, which part of this thing on my list is about my shame and my need to prove myself and my need to feel good enough? And which part of it would I practice, do, or pursue if I had nothing to prove? Like, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Um, you're going to begin to get more clarity about what your passions are. Um, but man, that, this, is a, this is a stage in this, in this year where, where shame is going to rear its ugly head and we want to be aware of that. And because I think that's going to be such a, um, a relevant part of what we're wrestling with at this stage, um, perhaps if there are some of you who are aware at this point of what the voice of shame says about your wants and your passions, like you've become aware of that already, it may be really helpful to listeners to hear us um, sort of list some of the things that, that shame does to, um, to minimize, steer us away from, obscure our passions. Carrie Lynn writes, for my 54th birthday last week, I bought a notebook. I bought a simple planner. I placed the planner in the notebook. I filled it with blank paper and pockets to fill. I titled it The Big Picture. It is for the second act of my life. I have wanted to write a children's book for years. I am writing it. It came from a comment my son made from the backseat of the car one day. He was four. He is now 17. It's titled, Mom, Would You Love Me If I Was a Turtle? Oh my goodness. I'm so incredibly excited to finally carve out the space and time to live my passion. Carrie Lynn, well, your courage, your courage to return to your passion 13 years later, your courage to share that with us is such a gift to everybody listening, 13 years, right? In my reading today, it was five years, five years of no, 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 13 years. It is never too late. Our passions wait. <laughs> In the same way that our true self is sort of waiting to be rediscovered, you know, and if it takes 80 years to do that, that's fine. Our passions will wait for us. Um, and, and in a way, sometimes we'll look back and go, huh, I, I rediscovered that passion right, right when I was supposed to, you know, like the, the technology was there to really you know, follow my passion with my whole heart, and it wouldn't have been a number of years ago or whatever. So we don't even need to spend any time knocking ourselves around or letting shame beat us up for, well, 13 years you wait. Nope, nope, just today. Just a passion being lived today. It's beautiful, Carrie Lynn. Thank you. Missy writes, I need the five W's again, please. Okay, here they are. Who do you want to reach out to? What do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? When will you let yourself listen? Why not now? So these five W's, um, I don't know what, out of those questions, I don't know what the, your responses will be, but they're just ways of, uh, as Mike said, sort of beginning to cultivate that relaxed mind, 
loosening up the muscle that pushes your passions down and your wants and just beginning to create that space of openness and, and receptivity. Um, and Missy, you, you asked for the five W's again. Um, and I've been asked so many times, like, where can I get the readings? And, uh, and this is not a bad place to say that um, by the end of this month and hopefully closer to the middle of this month, um, I'm going to have a page on my website where you'll be able to access all of the readings in print. Um, it will integrate the readings, practices, and podcasts. Um, there's also going to be a study guide for Lovable that you can access. Um, all of it's going to be for individuals and groups. All of it's going to be totally free. Um, so we all have been spending a lot of time <laughs> uh, sort of working through content, and it's, it's finally sort of all going to be available. So I'm really excited to get it to you, and, uh, and make sure, if you aren't already, sign up for that email list of mine uh, at drkellyflanagan.com. And uh, as soon as that is available and ready to go and to ship, I'm going to send out a notification to the email list and you'll be able to access it right away. So you'll be able to read these questions in print and not have to remember them uh, verbally. Melinda writes, I've been listening to a lot of this while getting some work done. It's soothing to be here. I hear what I need to hear. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that, Melinda. Um, soothing is a good, a, good, a good way to describe it. And so the question, you know, like, and I, I actually really appreciate that word because the soothing implies that there's an agitation. Right, and so what we're what we're paying attention to again this week, maybe more than we have in, in in months, is that that agitation is the voice of shame. And as we begin to talk through some of these ideas and get at the truth of how all this works, that voice of shame begins to quiet down again, and we get more connected with the voice of grace. And so what is being soothed <laughs> is that agitation and sense of scarcity and um, need to prove ourselves that the voice of shame so often stirs up. Robin writes, Shame said I didn't deserve to reach out to the child I had placed for adoption. After all, I had given him up. Who am I to reach out to him? This voice of shame kept me from following my heart for a decade. Reuniting with my 28-year-old child last week was the most incredible experience of my life. Hearing their heart of longing to meet me, but not being able to take that risk affirmed my decision to kick shame to the curb on this one. I hope everyone's listening. I hope everyone is listening. Um... Question number one of the five W's, who do you want to reach out to? Um, here's Robin going, for 10 years, the voice of shame convinced me I did not deserve to reach out to my son. And, uh, and Robin, you shared a little bit with me about the beauty of that reunion um, at so many levels. And uh, um, it is a, a huge encouragement and inspiration for all of us to, to kick that shame to the curb <laughs> and say, you're not going to stop me from following what I want any longer. Mike writes, the only suggestion I'd add to the five W's is that it's okay to not move or change something now, as long as you can be honest with yourself about why you aren't changing at this moment. I suffer more from being dishonest than anything else. Hopefully that makes sense. For example, I know there are situations in my life that aren't ideal, however, the time to change them isn't here yet, or at least I'm not willing to do the move yet. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, addition, Mike, and it sort of it resonates with what we were saying earlier, which is that if you can't, if you don't know where this will end up, or you do, and sort of it's sort of daunting to think where it could end up, um, don't let that stop you from getting started on becoming aware of what you want. I think that's exactly right. It reminds me of an, an episode a few weeks back, back in the months of belonging, um, where we talked about, you know, uh, we were talking about intimacy and, and trying not to have secrets with the people we belong to. But this awareness that sort of started to dawn on us that we keep secrets from ourselves, 
You know, they're the sorts of things that are sort of uh, knocking at the door of your consciousness and you're sort of not wanting to pay attention to because you're not quite sure of the implications of paying attention to them. And that we just don't, we don't want to let the things we want and our passions remain a secret, uh, even from ourselves. And so, yes, just let this be about opening to being honest about what you want. Um, and don't worry about the whole journey from there. Um, just, just allow that first part to happen. Micheline writes, Shame says I can't write fantasy fiction or magical realism because my life is too small and without enough adventure. Grace is telling my soul, Grace is telling me my soul will lead me. That's it. I mean, what a, <laughs> oh, shame. Goodness, you have a universe inside of you. A universe inside of you, infinite, and shame comes along and says, no, your life around you is too small, so you, what do you have to say? It's like, mm, i got a universe inside me. I'll, I'll, I've got a few things I could say. <laughs> I think that's the voice of grace. Like, nah, like I got it. Um, so yeah, good for you, Micheline. Trust the universe inside of you. Emily writes, I've always wanted to be a counselor for tween and teen girls, working with them around their own voices of shame. Ironically, my own shame holds me back. Looks like I have some work to do. Emily, um, that's why you'll be so good at it. <laughs> that's why you'll be so good at it. Um, because in order to do it, you're going to have to work through a lot of that relationship to your own shame, and you'll have walked the path. And uh, you'll have you'll have authority and credibility based upon your own experience and your own work and your own courage. Um, and you'll be really good at it. So walk the path. Okay, everybody, thanks again um, just for another, I mean, it's a, it's a centering discussion for me. I know it's going to be super helpful for a bunch of people listening. Thank you for that. Next week, we're going to continue to challenge some of the, the ideas that pre prevent us um, from embracing our passions. So we're going to be, again, facing into that voice of shame that wants to, to limit us and confuse us and direct us in the wrong direction. Specifically, we'll talk about mental rules we have developed that we need to start breaking. It'll be week 38 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, What if a Resurrected Life Isn't as Impossible as It May Seem? Until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made, her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Yeah.